and welcome to Rule of Carnage. Uh, this is a continuing series of conversations between two men who make miniatures games. Uh, and one of them is me, Mike Hutchinson. Another is this chap, Glenn Ford. And um, we have spoken several times about the perils, the pitfalls of uh, taking a perfectly good game and then sticking a scenario on it that absolutely completely undermines the game and turns what was glorious into something terrible. And we're going to rehash that discussion again because another way of attacking this has sort of popped up in both some games that we were playing recently and um, some uh, of the final sort of rules development and playtesting that's going on with Hobgoblin, which is a game that I've been working on that you can acquire from a link laid out below this video or this podcast. Um, and I guess what, I, uh, what I'm uh, referring to is disengagement, disengagement with the fun engine, disengagement with the game as a winning strategy. Uh, and if you go back in the mists of our archive, um, there's a conversation about, uh, about how, how, how you might go about equating the, the urge to be victorious with the shared urge to have fun. And yeah. this is sort of adjacent to that. But how, when you're writing your game, and particularly when you're taking a perfectly good rule system and then trying to write scenarios around it, how do you avoid players disengaging or choosing not to engage with the game uh, being the best course of action? Mm. Um, because honestly, like with the best will of the world and really quite a genuine focus on this problem constantly, like, I've written one of these recently where some playtesters came in. Um, the scenario uh, that I was writing for Hobgoblin was, okay, cool. Everyone has a class of uh, like model that they can include that's a hero. Cool, we should have a scenario where you kill all the heroes or as many heroes as you can. You know, most most heroes killed uh, is, um, is the winner. Except, you know, some armies will have lots of heroes and some will only have two or three heroes. So then you have to write some special rules around, okay, well, once all the heroes are dead or like, you know, how many victory points do I get for one and two and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And in writing all of those things, I ended up with a game uh, being reported where uh, two armies clashed, uh, one unit was killed that contained two heroes, and then the, uh, the unit that had killed that unit went brilliant i can run off into the sunset and spend the rest of the game dancing around trying to avoid being in a armed conflict which of course is you know defeating the point of hobgoblin the point of hobgoblin is not to have an army running around in the backfield trying to avoid uh being fought but you know no disrespect to the playtester they were playing the best strategy uh to win and so the best strategy uh there was was the best course of action for them was to avoid uh the game was to disengage with the game um and I think, you know, we were playing a game recently where the best strategy um, for a given scenario was simply not to even engage with the game at the first hurdle was to basically this is this is actually a surprisingly common problem with scenarios written by people who aren't paying attention is you set the game up and then you press play and it's like, oh, wow, I don't need to go anywhere near you. And actually going near you is, the, is a worse course of action than declining to engage with this game and not rolling any dice and not even, you know. So yeah, um, yeah, you've seen a few of these as well, Glenn. I know. Yes, yeah, and it, it's it's a it, it's a tricky handful of things. I think that that are sometimes going going on and, and sort of rubbing up against each other. There is that you shouldn't. It, it should never be the case that I am playing just in order to win. If I am playing only to win, there's a problem with the game. 
but I should be playing to win. Yeah. You know, the, 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 the magic circle we enter into is that we will both pretend to care about winning in order that it can like make our actions predictable, bring us together into the fun zone in a certain part of the table. We both got to pretend to to give a damn about winning because that what make, makes the game fun. It's like I don't I don't go to basketball courts with a ladder and put a ball through a hoop repeatedly late at night because I really want to put a ball into a hoop. But if I'm playing basketball, I really want to put the ball into the hoop because that's what I'm meant to care about. You know, that's yeah. what we sort of we require from players. So it's not about saying like, you know, you should, we want you to care about winning. And if you don't care about winning, you're a bad player and, or people that care about winning to the games that care about winning to the exclusion of everything else are bad games. But it is about saying, okay, look, the game shouldn't make you an idiot for engaging with the game. It shouldn't go, okay, you're winning now the more you engage with the fun engine of this game or with the game at all, the further you will get from winning. You will basically mm. lose with every step you take towards the enemy. You are a chump for playing this game, you know, because it's you don't have to be a hardcore, win-obsessed, you know, competitive player to, at that point, just go, well, why... Why am I playing the game if that's right? And 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 a clear a clear thinking player approaching a new game or a new scenario will be asking like, okay, so what is the scenario asking me to do? Like, what am I being asked to complete? And you know, even the most narrative player can be like, okay, what's my general? What's what's my commanding officer telling me that I need to do? Okay, I need to take this thing over here. I need to capture this central objective or whatever whatever that might be. Um, And I think that like. It's 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 easy but lazy to say. Well, I'm just going to assume that the players are turning up to have fun and that they will push their armies into into the middle and then they will have a fight because they like they want that and they will have that. And you know, almost every game you write you read will have a um, you know a basic bloodbath type scenario where you push the armies together and the person with the most stuff at the end is the winner. And even that has it inherent in it this problem where if you create a game system with enough fluidity in the movement, you can basically have a game where the first unit that's killed ends the game and then you go into disengagement mode. And if it's possible, you know, everyone just scatters to the four winds and the person who's killed the one unit then just prances around. And, you know, in Hobgoblin, you can't do that because there's just not enough flexibility in the movement system to kill one unit and then dance off into the sunset. But, you know, if you've, if you've got a skirmish game with a lot of movement tricks or, you know, a lot of ways of hiding and stuff, like, you've got to watch out that even your basic, like, well, obviously the basic scenario will work. It's just the kill everyone scenario. Well, it might just really, really reward disengaging with the game. And people will choose not to do that in most case in many cases because to do that would be to disengage from having fun yeah. but at the same time you've created a really uncomfortable tension between the magic circle of the game and the sort of social circle which is laid on top of that and is inherent in it which is like well i, I wanted to roll dice and we wanted to have good times you know shooting each other's models off or whatever it was yeah and a lot of it is about sort of how obvious the things that uh, yeah happen are sort of how clear it is to you 
that disengagement is a winning strategy. If you realise after the game is finished, oh, that if I just I, if I hadn't have made that charge, I would have won. If I just sat there at the last minute, I would have won. That's okay because you didn't realise at the time and you made the charge, and so you know the thing was engaged with. But it's like we were playing um, a game just recently where the win condition had been achieved at the end of the first um act activation the end of the first turn but the game end condition wasn't until sort of like 10 turns later mm. and it's like the, in that situation the game said like in big letters the game has been won the winning is gone that's that's passed now it's just the end game conditions and then in that instance the losing player was very much like why why am i engaging with ending this why why do i why do i care to end it other than to end my misery you know so that i can go home that's why i'm engaging with this game so that i can leave again mm. um and to a degree it's like you know as i've said before you can have games where it's like about the joy of pulling the levers and engaging with the narrative but the levers have got to be incredibly fun and the narrative has got to be incredibly engaging to get away with those being the only things that are driving you for the whole of like a half hour long experience it's a right and it's and it's you know it's and it's sort of it like it's weird because it sort of feels like you could maybe get away with it in a miniature game where you know there's there's beautiful visuals to look at and you know we've created we spent a long time preparing for the game but like imagine opening a board game and you know the rules for the board game are basically are basically the you know the game res the game picks a winner at the end of turn one but the game doesn't end until the end of turn 10 and you just all have to play out the mechanical reality of that worker placement board game safe in the knowledge that player two already won on the first turn of the game like no board game has been written that and I mean, that's probably false but it, it, it's basically monopoly it's basically the last oh, that's, true. that's true actually monopoly is uh, exactly just described and it's why it's one of the most widely despised games that's true yes and it, yeah and, it, and this is the thing it's like it doesn't it, it doesn't need to be this sort of super close fault thing right to the end and it doesn't have to you know it doesn't have to engage you only with the win conditions but it's got to offer you something and it's got yeah so what what are some of the solutions here like what what are, what are things that we've tried so i mean like one, one of the things when i'm writing scenarios like absolutely front of mind is why why are both what is the magnet that is pulling both players models into the center of the table like mm -hmm. 100% you have to have a magnet somewhere that's pulling people there. And it can be, you know, it can be as simple as, you know, there are objective tokens and you have to stand next to them to get victory points. And there's nothing wrong with that. Objectives work great. They're yeah. in billions of games because they just work great. Abstract, they provide narrative freedom. They're really crisp from a game design point of view. So, you know, fixing your bloodbath problem, just stick some objectives in the center of the table. Great, magnets exist yeah yeah giving telling players to walk into the fun zone you know yeah. 
and it's not an it isn't enough to just say well that's a fu- that's a fun zone go and stand in it because it's not instantly obvious to every player like those are often emergent things you know the system you know it will be good if everyone walks want, walks to point x at the same time your players don't inherently always understand that and there's no reason to assume they will and so just dropping down a penny somewhere and going you see that that's what you want to stand on that I'm just telling you, you want to stand on that. What I'm going to tell you that is by saying you win if you stand on that. Yeah, and and the and the and the next step step from that is make sure that your magnets are turned on for a good amount of the game. So a classic error that I will make, you know, when I write scenarios, is there'll be a magnet or an objective or something that you have to go and collect, and then it disappears. Like that only works for a couple of turns of the game, and then it's it sort of begins to create disengagement again. Or it only scores at the end of the game. Well, that's not really a magnet. That's a wait four turns and then it's a magnet. Yeah, and there's a and there's a super simple thing which is it scores as many VP as the current turn at the end of the turn. And there's a bit of bookkeeping to that, but that's a really easy out to just go. Right, it's worth standing on it on turn one, but it's really worth standing on it on turn six, and it's never worth wandering off and leaving it be. And it's you know, and it's always going to be a mighty mound of dead around that thing, and everyone's going to care about it. Um, that can be obviously quite a basic situation where it's that's basically a meat grinder on top of that objective, and it's not always super super duper narrative. Um, you can have sort of jumping objectives, the objectives that blip off and then like respawn somewhere else. And that could be nice if you've got a very um, dynamic movement heavy game to be able to say, okay, here's the objective. Um, it's worth one point. When you get it, it blips out. You randomize it to another location and the second version of it will be worth two points and the third version, three points. And that's not necessarily linked to the turn number. So if you first movement jump on that thing and it blips over there, you might be able to score it a second time in the same turn or a third time in the third turn. And that encourages people to be like really sort of dynamic, try and hit that thing with your first activation, make sure you've got lots of, lots of options for your second activation. Um, you need to be a little bit wary of those sorts of things where it's like, if I jump my unit onto the one point thing am i just offering you the two point thing and so do i sometimes want to not score the objective in case i give you an option so ideally you want to use that in a system where people can then like overwatch where the token might pop up to after they've scored it at the end of their turn so they can go all right i'll cover myself against it popping right into his line or, or where you can get it like car and another way of introducing dynamicism into the magnet um but it's got its own problems is to attach the magnets to enemy models so mm-hmm. if like i have to kill the general or i have to kill all the characters or i have to deliver a message to a certain model like that is interesting because it forces you to go and engage with them, but it can have a negative impact where it's like, well, it forces that model on the other side to disengage and run away. So um, and... in Hobgoblin, I've worried a lot about the fact that I wanted objectives where both sides are okay with the idea that all of the units are charging forward to certain doom. And one of the things I've done is like carefully writing rules, objectives where uh, dying is not a problem. 
Because mm. quite often in games like this, you're trying to preserve your resources. And so it's quite kind of interesting to say, well, if you can win and everything's dead, because achieving something, not surviving something, um, like that's a stronger way of, of, of encouraging engagement because you're basically saying, yeah, you can go and get your fists bloodied and it doesn't matter if you get your head cut off as long as you get your job done first. And it, I mean, it, it has to be said that, you know, when we say like engaging with the game, running away could be engaging with the game depending on be. what your it could game be. is if you're playing some sort of horror based game and the thing hunting you is able to like teleport around and it's really difficult to get away from it then you know it doesn't it doesn't of necessity mean that running away is not engaging with the game it, you've got to figure out what your game engine is and what your game is doing and then reward that and i think hobgoblin there is a good example that hobgoblin is about making your stuff die and not mind. And there's plenty of mass battle games that are about marshalling your resources in mm. a very careful way and caring about every guy that dies because they're people and you should care about them. And when yeah. they die, it should hurt. And you've got to like make sure you get the most juice out of every dude. And that's a perfectly fine way of like writing a game, provided people actually then are encouraged to engage with that, you know, that that engine and where you're like you know, I, I need to achieve this thing with these guys in the most efficient way possible, but I still need to achieve the thing. And sometimes that's a careful balancing act of going like, I want you to care about your troops, but I want you to risk your troops. Yeah. That's always the, the seesaw for, for those sorts of games, I think. To Yeah, that's that's like going back to that resource conversation where it's like you want people to gamble their resources. You don't want the best course of action to just be to hoard all of your resources or your money or whatever. Because like the, the point is that you've created a fantasy where presumably spending resources is fun. Mm. and Otherwise, you wouldn't want the resources. So make spending resources a wise choice at the same time as a fun one. Yeah, and and we within these sorts of games, we're in a weird. Um, we have two weird poles because a natural human thing is um, loss aversion. Where if I've got a resource, I don't yeah. really want to gamble it, you know, because one in the hand is worth two in the bush. Whereas at the same time, the natural drive of a mini gamer is you know let's let's risk it for a biscuit let's shove them in and see what happens i'll blow them up once and then i'll know what them blowing up looks like so let's it's and... a certain kind of mentality to be a miniatures gamer like spend a lot of time on the miniatures because you want to watch them all burn and it's yeah and it and it's funny sometimes writing a scenario and um realizing that you've got to play to both of those mindsets to make your yeah. work you can't say here are some resources that you don't have to spend if you don't want to, but maybe it's a good idea to spend them because some people will then have that pile of resources at the end of the game. I've seen people sitting there with their little coin stack and I keep going, you can spend those. They do things. They're not worth anything. They're worth no VP at the end of the game. It is meaningless if you have them at the end of the game. It's like, yeah, I know, but maybe they'll, maybe on the last turn of the last move, yeah, yeah, yeah. the last thing, that'll be the right moment to spend them. And I will regret having spent them otherwise. You really won't. You just, and then you get the other people to go, first activation, bang. <laughs> bang. So, my so, so, so mo mo moving on, like one of, one of my, one of my, common impulses is to create a shared uh, victory condition or a share, shared magnet so that like I don't have to worry about there being cases where two players accidentally got like 
poorly interacting objectives and they have to just walk past each other so i have written games where you know the objective was i have to avoid you and you have to go over here and so we're just like okay so we just do that and then the game's over and we both win this is terrible yeah um and so having a shared objective but not one where you both have to walk off the other person's uh table um is it's obviously like that's a quick way of making sure that you are at least all trying to achieve the same thing and therefore there's natural conflict yeah i think sort of tracking back to sorry what you were saying about like attaching the magnet to particular units and things oh yeah another worry about that is that it speaks to like list building for people but it's like mm. the thing like with Malifaux there was always the the mission which was kill like the person's second most expensive model and it's like right I have to make sure that my second most expensive model is absolutely nails yeah, and if I, if, I, if, if I have like a force where I've got like no spike um, and I've just got a whole bunch of minions that's a real worry you know or if it's like target the most numerous unit type in the opponent's army then everyone's like right so i don't want to have only one of every kind of unit in my army right right i mean i guess th this is this is i guess this is a design question though which is like is there a is there a is that a problem for your game or is there a way that you're making that an interesting thing like it, you, that does potentially offer a way to knit the meta or the list building into the victory point thing Mm. And that might be, you know, if intent, if done intentionally, that could be lovely. Um, but as as with almost everything in these conversations, if done with intent and, and um, you know, thoughtfully, it's a good thing. If done in a sort of like, ah, people probably have about three of each kind of thing in their army, won't they? This will be fine. Then you you are having real problems because you're sort of putting the a thumb onto the scale of the list building that you're not aware that you're doing and you're going to have people sort of going right so i have to consider that when building my lists and yeah in a way that's slightly peculiar um yeah i think sort of the the, the shorthand is like figure out what is fun in your game which isn't always obvious and not every designer i know has bothered to do this in relation <laughs> it's just shocking that it's like well what exactly is fun about this well it's models and doing things yeah but no but what exactly is the fun thing what exactly is the fun moment you know figure out how you're going to get players to do that fun thing and then make that fun thing the victory condition of your scenario and i say this more than once and it feels like it should be obvious but it's not and it's yeah. and it's certainly not obvious when you get to like the fourth or fifth or sixth scenario in a given given scenario. yeah no and it's it's also like it's also like you can hold that deer in your heart and then you can write a scenario and just accidentally stab yourself in the leg um unintentionally mm. uh, one one other thing that's maybe worth putting on the list here is um the difference between hidden or um, visible objectives so this kind of this can go quite nicely with the the not shared so the other half of like rather than having a shared magnet you can have not shared objectives which is potentially problematic but introducing a hidden information thing where i need to be watching what you're doing in order to interpret how like and therefore sort of figure out what you're doing that can be a way of forcing engagement because um if i disengage i can't know whether i'm letting you win or not 
Uh, yeah, I mean, hidden objectives are like a super risky, spicy meatball, I find, because the number of games I've played with hidden objectives where I just go about trying to achieve my objectives, pay zero attention to figuring out your objectives, and it makes literally no difference. You mm. know? Um, and then you, you end up in this place where someone's like, I'm oh I'm really trying to figure out what you're doing. Oh, to give clues to to make a player act in such a way that they give a clear and definable clue to the other person across the table from them in an interesting and engaging way as to what it is that they are trying to achieve, in order that they can then bluff that clue. That's like a... again, like we talk about this game all the time, but it's because it's incredible. Like scheme marker dropping in Malifaux is just oh, so good at this because it's a it's a it's an action that any model can take pretty much it, it's it's a it's an action point resource cost so it's a it's a spend so like it looks meaningful when when you do it and the little scheme marker is general purpose and can be used for a number of different potential things its position matters its distribution with other ones matters and other models might be able to use it in a way that's like ah oh, well actually even if i bluff it i can use it as a utility for another piece and so you don't know whether i'm setting up a slingshot or i'm dropping a you know a, a hold the center table like ah oh, scheme markers man just an yeah. incredible solution to this yeah, because so often when there's like a hidden objective or a hidden mission, you I, I sort of look at it and I think, okay, how would I bluff the 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 other hidden thing? It's like I would I would need to go and pretend to engage in that area with a unit. I've only just got enough units to do the thing I'm actually trying to do. Mm. It's really bluffing is very expensive in mm -hmm. like most tabletop games. It, a fane is, is very costly and the rewards if the other player simply engages with your bluff in a rational reasonable and and well-considered proportionate response you've just gained nothing from from it essentially because you've just proportioned out the tabletop so it's really hard to do well and it's really hard to give your players the correct resources to signal don't assume that because you've hidden the objectives people are suddenly going to engage in this like bluffing mind game back and forth across the table most people won't it's a second order thing and so it's, it's not like an advanced stage of playing your game like the first couple of games they'll just be trying to figure out how to achieve their own things they're not going to yeah. be trying to second guess the other guy yeah and that's by, by if by two or three games they get to a point where they go well just a minute even if i was bluffing this there would be no advantage to it they'll simply never progress to that second order point they've mm -hmm. got to on like game three go oh, I, oh it would be so valuable to have bluffed him and sent him over there and it's a it's a specific cost to doing it and the cost has to be just right and, and like i say like you said in malifaux the scheme markers the perfect costing it's a big red flag of bluffery. It doesn't actually cost me that much. And then I can I can feign protecting the scheme marker in a way that isn't expensive to me. Mm. Um, but but I do but I do think that hidden I do think that hidden objectives is a good way of maintaining uh of 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 creating engagement with the system. Everything you've said exactly rightly, you have to be really careful with them. Um but uh 
<laughs> I haven't written that many games with them in because it's really hard. But like I play a few with them in. Like we've been playing Adeptus Titanicus uh, again recently, and that uh, has a fairly decent implementation of hidden objectives. Um, and you know you're lumbering towards the deployment zone for a fair number of potential reasons. And I think one of the things that they've done there is that they've basically just said there are kind of two classes of, of of objectives there's either blow people up or damage them specifically or generally and then there's get into the deployment zone or near it for some reason or another and so because there's only sort of two things but there are minor variations i can sort of eyeball what why people are charging at me or why people are, are targeting a particular model but i can't necessarily know what's going on and so I, I need to be able to uh to adjust but yeah so i think these are all potential ways of basically just I mean, the key thing is just like the intelligent pair of players needs to sit down, set the game up, press play and be excited that they have to move forward and get stuck in and and not be disappointed that the the correct and wisest course of action is to is to disengage from the, the fun they were expecting to have in yeah. order to be the winner of the game. Absolutely. People don't need a lot to like lure them into the, the the fun area of the game and once they're in there you know you you can often let it just drift and they'll come out the other end going well I've, what was i know at least one guy who at the end of many games goes i have no idea what my victory conditions were or are <laughs> it's, me. it's me isn't it <laughs> you know um so yeah as long as you get password smash game was success <laughs> So as long as you get people into the right place, but you do need to give them those signposts, you need do need to offer them to them, and you do have to make sure that when the signpost falls away, everyone isn't stood in the middle of the table going, oh, all right, I'll just stand here then, I guess. It's, it's important for the, the player that wants Cargo Smash game with success to at least for the first two turns think that they're playing cleverly to <laughs> begin a grand strategy that will win. And then by turn three, they're having loads of fun and they don't care whether they win or not. So like even for that player, it's super important that the victory conditions be clear and pressingly towards, you know, having fun. Uh, because that player thinks they're going to win in turn one, even if they aren't. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. So... If you have played a game where the victory conditions just absolutely encourage you to disengage with it, you know, halfway through, before halfway through, um, you know, maybe you continue to pile in because you felt like pressured by the, the social construct of the game to keep playing for the person across the table who seemed to be enjoying themselves. Maybe you just felt like oh, I should just wander off and you wandered off. Um, you know, yeah, did you handshake at the end of turn one because you realized there wasn't a game to play? Yeah, and it wasn't this... a list building problem. Yes, has this happened to you? Tell us about it. Has it definitively not happened to you and you've been fully engaged with or without the victory conditions themselves? Have the victory conditions fallen away and 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 been just enough of a sweetie trail to the good things to keep you rolling all the way through the game until you came out the other end? and then realised somebody was meant to have won this thing. Also, where did that happen? Um, you know, because we want to copy it. Um, when you are telling us about these things in the comments section, please do also like and subscribe this video.
swing by the discord and have chats with us about splendid victory conditions and unsplendid splendid victory conditions and non-conditions and non-victory conditions because these are fascinating wonderful things but from us and from this conversation and this rule of carnage it's going to be a thank you and goodbye so a uh, thank you and goodbye goodbye thank you don't forget to define your terms <laughs>